Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah and I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage. And tonight we continue our study on the life of Joseph with a family reunion of sorts, but maybe not the kind of family reunion you'd want or expect. As always, if you want to join our conversation or if you'd like someone to pray with tonight, we have call screeners standing by to take your phone calls at 929-333-3739. Pastor Noah, I mean, Pastor Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And let me just say before you you ask what you want to ask me, which is whatever, but... That was what I wanted to ask Oh, you. oh Yeah. <laughs> I want to encourage our listeners to stick with us tonight because we have a really practical show and program in Genesis chapter 42 when we just talk about what is God doing when we have no understanding of what is going on and why he would be allowing this and nothing seems to be going our way. So that's the program tonight. And why would you call me Pastor Noah? Oh, uh, we went that. to the... Oh, oh, you were mistaken. Okay, so we had a wonderful bus trip. Uh, this past weekend, we left on Wednesday, took a bus all the way from here down to Williamstown, Kentucky, to where the Answers in Genesis Museum yeah. and the Ark Encounter is. Mm-hmm. And then Thursday, we went to the museum. Friday, we went to the Ark Encounter. It was a great experience. Over 60 people, I think, yeah. from our church. Yep. And Brother Ashuk, one of our deacons. Uh, just was really monumentally uh, organized all of this, and and I believe we all had a great time. And yeah. we have one of the the moms who brought her daughter, uh, Charisse and Lentia, one of our wonderful mothers of heritage for many years, is online, and she wants to just share a testimony as well about our trip down to the ark. Hey, Lentia, God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good night, Pastor. Good night, uh, radio audience. Good evening, Lentia. Yeah, so Lentia, tell us what you thought about the trip down to the Ark and the museum and how you enjoyed it and what made the greatest impressions upon your life. (laughs) Sure. Um, So first of all, I just want to say how grateful we are for the opportunity and and privilege to to have gone there. Um, It was a real blessing hearing from Ken Ham and some of the points he made. I was really impressed with um, the the information he gave regarding the challenges, which we were already aware of, um, but basically the, the reason why uh, our children are experiencing so much pressure in school and elsewhere. Um, one of the points he made is that the, um, the definitions of terms yeah. are being changed. Yeah. To, to normalize um, one's thinking. Yeah. And, I mean, Paul just clarifies it basically that we're in a battle in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And he, he just really exposed it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, that's exactly what cults do. 
they use the same terms we use, yeah. but they they change the meaning mm-hmm. to mean something else. Yeah. And one of, one of the w- ways that they're changing the meaning of, of what you're talking about as well is a pedophile is mm-hmm. a criminal act for an adult to ha- have a, a desire, or, or not, not just have the desire, but to act out those desires with, with children in a sexual way. That's, that's a crime. Yeah. It's sexual mm-hmm. abuse, and it's mm-hmm. wicked in mm-hmm. God's sight. But they're trying to change the terminology of that and call it minor attracted person, a map, as if that's just yeah. normal now. They're trying to normalize it, yeah. and that's going to be the yeah. next stage yeah. after all, everything yeah. what they're doing now. So mm-hmm. you're, you're right, Lentia, and... And having children through this and go, who are in college as well, who are really being inundated with all of this, we have to bring them back to Genesis, right? Genesis 1 through yeah. 11 has those answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Genesis 1 through 11 said all the answers we need is right there, you know? That's right. That's right. Well, God bless you, Lentia. Be strong. And it was great having you and your beautiful daughter with us on our trip. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it, and thank you for taking part with with us on that. All right, thank thanks, you. Lentia. Yeah, and Pastor, we actually have Ashuk, who you were just talking about. Uh, that's he's right. On the, he's on the line as well. Yeah, Ashuk, thank you, brother, for joining us. I know that you were actually planning to be in studio, but hey, you you put yourself out there so much, and I know Liz is not feeling well, so I'm glad you're taking care of your wife. And and uh, but Ashuk, thanks for all your planning and our trip, and and. What made the greatest impressions on your life in our in our trip down to the ark? Pastor, you know, just 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 when we were coming in with a bus and when this big majestic structure just loomed in front of you, I'm like I was taken aback. It was like wow. <laughs> what am I looking at here? Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing suggest- structure, the largest wood timber freestanding wood timber structure in the world built uh, to be a, 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 a replica size of the ark really a, a great feat you know and and you know sometimes we we let our imaginations run wild and when i saw that structure i was thinking of the people who were looking at noah building this massive structure yeah I would like to know some of the thoughts that were in the mind that Noah is probably, he's a madman. Why is he building that? We're not going to get any rain. Why is he, you know, building this massive structure? What was the purpose of it? But I was, I, literally, I was taken aback. When I, when I looked at it, I was like, wow, look what's in front of us. This amazing structure to see what is written in God's word in the book of Genesis, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah, Dr. Ken Ham and his entire team, what was just a vision, and you see it in reality. And there you standing in Williamstown, Kentucky, looking at this majestic structure. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. Thanks for sharing, Ashok. And thanks for, again, all your labors of love of you and Liz and others in our church. But you really took the lead on that. So God bless you guys, and uh, have a great evening now. Thanks, Ashok. Yeah. Well, and, and and we did have a, a wonderful time. You know the thing that I one of the most impressive things to me, or where I was impressed most, though, yeah. Mike, and mm-hmm. I, I do want to share this, and it really relates more to what Lintia was saying, mm-hmm. is there was in one of the 
one of the venues, and, and the, there was a display, and it just talked about how God's people always had to overcome the gods of their culture. Mm. Joseph had to overcome the Egyptian gods. Yeah. Joshua had to overcome the Canaanite gods. Mm-hmm. David had to overcome the Philistine gods. Hezekiah had to overcome the Assyrian gods. Daniel had to overcome the Babylonian gods. Mm. The apostles had to overcome the Roman gods. Yeah. And so God's people have always had to stand against the gods of that culture. And none of those gods are worshipped any longer. Wow. But the Lord God is. Yeah. I mean, who worships Roman gods, Greek gods, Babylonian gods any longer? No and so the gods that people are worshipping today in our culture, mm-hmm. on all this woke ideology and mm-hmm. everything else, they will die. Those, these gods will die with our, when our culture is destroyed. Yeah. But gods culture and word will always stand. Mm, That's so great, Pastor. I got chills as you said that. And there was another moment that I had actually on Friday morning. As soon as we arrived at the Ark Encounter, uh, we watched a documentary called The Making of the Ark. And in the film, the founder, Ken Ham, relays the story of how he had really this impossible task of finding the builders who had the skills and the know-how to complete the largest timber frame structure in the entire world, as you said. And through a series of you know conversations and meetings, he was directed to a group of Amish men who had been building massive wooden barns, and he presented his idea of building the ark, and you know sort of asked them if they wanted to be involved. And when he was done presenting, he said that one of the men stood up and said, "Perhaps God has been preparing us for our entire lives to be able to build this ark." And it was just such an mm. incredible moment, and especially as we study the life of Joseph on this program, because God prepared not only the Amish men to complete that impossible task, but He He prepared Joseph to, you know, complete the impossible task of saving all the people from this famine. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Micah, for for that. And let's get into Genesis chapter 42, as God is working mightily, preparing and using Joseph. And we do welcome this evening into our studio, Emmanuel. Thanks for joining us, Emmanuel, once again. Hi, Pastor. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure as always. Amen. And we're going to read the entire chapter Genesis 42, and Nana is also, she comes with us every Sunday night to the radio. She's pretty much a silent partner, but (laughs) she spoke, we got Nana to say a few words. We did. And you were very, very active on our bus trip on that with the little microphone in your hand. You did a great (laughs) job with games and a lot of other stuff. Nana, so thanks for being here, Nana. Thanks, Pastor, for having me. And reading tonight. So we're going to just go right into the passage, and Michael will start us off in Genesis chapter 42 and the first verse. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye ye look upon one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get ye down thither, and buy for us thence, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. 
And they said unto him, Name, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, No, but to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, and, and come as one man to the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, that is that that I spake unto you, saying, You are spies. Hereby you shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether they be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh. Surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into one ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison, and go ye carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother to me. So shall your words be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Uh, verse 21. And they said to one another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also this blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them, and wept, and returned to them again, and communed with them, and took from them Simeon, and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn, and to restore every man's money into his sack, and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn, and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he espied his money, for behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God had done to us? And they came unto Jacob their father, unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the lord of the land spake roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men, we are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father, one is not. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man the lord of the country said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone, and bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So I will I deliver you your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that, behold, Every man's bundle of money was in his sack, and when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children, Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away, 
All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons. If I bring him not to thee, deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in the which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrows to the grave. Amen for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to pray as Brother Micah, if you would please lead us out. Yes, Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, in this moment of strangeness in the story of the life of Jacob's family, Lord. We are so glad that we understand the end of the story, Lord, and in the same way we understand the end of the story of the Bible. So, God, we just thank you for this. We have joy in discussing it, Lord. So bless our conversation tonight, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what is God doing when nothing goes our way? That's the title of our program tonight and it comes from two scriptures what is God doing that's basically what the brothers of Joseph said to each other when they discovered the money back in their sacks mm. they were saying what is God doing here with our money in our sacks we're trying to prove we're not spies <laughs> and now the money he's not going to think we're only spies but thieves as well and yeah. we'll never get Simeon back from the prison what is God doing to us mm. that's the first question and then when Jacob realizes that Simeon is now gone and he says Joseph isn't here anymore. Now Simeon's gone. I'll never see him again. And you want to take away Benjamin too? <laughs> all these things are against me. Yeah. That's one of the great texts mm. of all of Genesis where mm -hmm. he says, all these things are against me. Mm. Nothing is going my way. Mm. That was from his perspective. Yeah. So that's the program tonight. And dear friends, do you feel that way? And if we can encourage you, if we could pray with you, and we could put God's blessing over you in a prayer and with a scripture, give us a call right now. We do have loving call screeners. Call us at 929-333-3739. Maybe you're in prison yourself. Maybe you're going through struggles and hardship of one kind or another. Give us a call, 929-333-3739. If you are in this kind of situation where you're wondering what is God doing, nothing is going your way. And so, Emmanuel, have you ever felt that way? <laughs> <laughs> Many times oh, in my life. Oh, really? Yes. Really? Such a young man, and you, over, you, you have felt that you didn't understand what God was doing, and you didn't think things were happening. Yes, yes. Uh, I just want to briefly share my personal testimony and how I surrendered my life to God, and sure. basically that is how God used it. Hmm. So uh, just to recap, in 2014, I started working for an IT company in India. I worked there for four years. I was good at it, but yeah. I was also proud because I was good at it. Uh. And that eventually led with some led to some conflict with my boss. And I was mm. so angry and proud that I left that job, left the industry, and I went into real estate hmm. to sell houses. And that did not work either. Of course, I was proud. So um, and I was uh, not as good at, at it as I thought I would be. So I basically <laughs> sold zero houses. Yeah. So after that, I gave that up and I came to America to do an MBA. And mm. that college, which I came to, did not uh, turned out to be not as good as I thought it would be. Mm. So I was like, Lord, what is happening? This is not good. Yeah. So finally, I kind of, in 2020, switched to Baruch. And yeah. that was a good college in New York City. So I was like, Lord, finally I can do this now. Yeah. And that is when COVID mm. hit. 
So my online, uh, my education mm. in person went to online, yeah. and this was happening over the past seven to eight years. And uh, everything from one thing to another wasn't working out, and yeah. everything was a quick break and a mm. new start, and a quick break and a new start. And I was so frustrated with all of it. Now finally, I thought maybe I could just get a job and be done with the education, and that would all it would be a happy ending to all of this <laughs> <laughs> stop and start business yeah. that was happening. But unfortunately, over a year, I applied to so many jobs and nothing happened. And I came to the same situation where Jacob was. Mm. What is happening? Yeah. Nothing mm. is working in my life. But mm. I did not know that God was taking every single thing in which I trusted and he was taking it away from me. Mm. Till the only thing I had left to hold on to was God. Mm. And mm -hmm. through all yeah. of these seven years, God took one thing after the other till I was on my knees. Wow. And I just looked up and I just gave everything to God. And I said, Lord, I don't know. I need you. Yeah, that's so. great. That's a great testimony, Emmanuel. And, and that is a good parallel to this chapter hmm. in that when things are happening and we question God, we're all prone to do that yeah. and say why. God is working even when it seems like everything is against us, because he was definitely working in this chapter yeah. to bring reconciliation and to bring Joseph back to his family and to prepare. And really, the bigger picture is to prepare a family mm. to bring the Messiah into the world. Yeah. And so this family had to be right with God in that sense. But God was working, wasn't he, Emmanuel, to reveal your present needs to the Lord? So you would depend on him. He was drawing you to his promised son, drawing you to Jesus. And, and then he was also maybe convicting you and bringing conviction of mm -hmm. your past deeds so that you would come to Jesus. And that's what God is doing even in this chapter, isn't he, Micah, where yeah. he's, he's showing love. He, is, he actually sends a famine in love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this famine in verse 2, when it says that, that when Jacob saw that there was a famine in the land, and I like what Jacob says to his sons, he said, what are you doing looking at each other? Yeah. Do something. <laughs> you got to act. you yeah. got to move. And this famine to Jacob was a serious issue, even could bring death. It, it brought the reality of death yeah. to Jacob. He says, he says we have to go down to Egypt to buy some corn that yeah. we may live mm -hmm. and not die. Yeah. And so this was a very serious situation. So tell, talk to us about this famine a little bit and how did God, you know, bring this famine or did, did God bring this famine? Mm. I mean, does God even bring famines? Does yeah. God bring hurricanes? I mean, yeah. does God bring these kinds of disasters into our lives and into their lives? And how did he use this famine to get their attention in mm. his love? Yeah. Well, I don't think that God brought the famine. I think that, you know, famines and earthquakes and hurricanes and all that is due to the fact that we all live in a fallen world. So I, I guess I would blame Adam and Eve for even this famine here in Genesis. But God did allow it, and there's a difference. And I believe that in God's omniscience, he knew that the climate and the weather conditions in these specific years would lead to the seven-year famine. Um, but, he, but God did use it to glorify himself. He did this in part by warning Joseph, starting 20 years earlier, using dreams, so Joseph would be ready to help the people survive. And as I studied the passage this week, it really struck me again how specific God was in the dreams regarding the grain. So 
where you remember that Joseph dreamed of the sheaves of wheat as a teenager, and then the baker in prison dreamed of the baskets of bread, and of course Pharaoh dreamed of the corn. So God was giving Joseph specific hints all along the way of what was coming. And again, I don't believe that God sent the famine, but he allowed it, and he gave his people the wisdom through Joseph to survive it. Yeah. Well, so when I read the text back in Genesis 41, though, and in the dream, Uh and Joseph said, this is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, what God is about to do, Mm. he showeth, showeth unto Pharaoh. And verse 32 he says, it is because this thing is established by God. Mm-hmm. God will shortly bring it to pass. Okay. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so you disagree I mean, with me, Ben. Well, okay. I, you know, the thing is, God could have kept it from happening. Uh-huh. He surely could have. Okay. But he's going to use this famine and really to show Jacob and the sons. And, 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 and I understand... and. I, I, I speak in those same terms that you speak in. I'm not really disagreeing yeah. with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's true that there would not have been this famine if there wasn't sin in the earth, right? And and so that it is a result of sin. Uh-huh. And definitely, and we have to understand that, that we are living in, in a fallen world when things aren't going our way. Mm-hmm. But living in this fallen world, we have these needs, and we often have to, through the sweat of our brow, and by dealing with thorns and thistles, yeah. you know, have to get our needs met, and it, and, it, and it hurts. And death is a reality, and famines are real, and so are hurricanes and, and all kinds of natural disasters that, yes, God does allow, but God also allows them in the sense of establishing them mm-hmm. as well, and that he can work them out for good. Yeah can he mm-hmm. so it's an amazing thing we have to trust him and this famine as well shows me that god is showing them and then god uses situations in our own lives that we're not sufficient in ourselves we are not sufficient in ourselves and we have to be humbled through life circumstances. As you were saying, you were very proud. Yeah. <laughs> so God had to humble you of your pride, right, Emmanuel? That is right. And he had to show you, yes, he had to convict you of that pride, show you were proud, and get and because a proud person doesn't depend on God. On God, that's yeah. right. And so Joseph's brothers are proud and, and arrogant, and they need to be humbled to depend upon God for this particular pressing dire situation mm-hmm. that they were going to go through mm-hmm. and, and get into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could go to James on line one. He has a question about Joseph's brothers. Um, you ready to take that question? Yeah, sure. Okay. We could All right, we're going to go to James on line one. Um, James, you're here live with us on the radio program. How are uh-huh. you? Fine, not too bad. Give yeah. us your question. We're ready for it. My question is, how it is that Joseph was able to identify his brothers, and none of them, what about nine of them or ten of them, they were unable to identify him. I mean, that's, kind of, that's, that's funny. Yeah, well, that's the way it is. That's the way this was. You know, there was a dear lady in our church this morning, Yeah. and she sat there through the whole service, and I, I thought, I didn't know who she was. She was yeah. a visitor today. Yeah. And after the service, she came up to me. And at that moment, Mm. when I looked at her, Mm -hmm. I was able to 
remember who she was. Yeah. And she's a dear friend, mm. actually. But I did not. I was looking at her while I was preaching. You know, we're not a big church. She was sitting on the third row or so. Yeah. And I could see her. But I just I just didn't know yeah. who she was. Yeah. So in that sense, James, there were perhaps multiple things going on. Maybe God could literally blind the eyes of yeah. Joseph's brothers that they couldn't recognize him. Number two, Joseph was dressed in a fashion that they could never have imagined their brother to be in this position. So perhaps it's just something that they couldn't even con- have considered that Joseph would be there. Micah, did you? Or? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I was just going to say, when you think of the Egyptians, and certainly they maybe didn't all look the same, but when you think of the Egyptian rulers, you know, oftentimes they were bald. They had extravagant maybe headpieces or necklaces and, you know, the clothing they wore. Maybe they even had eye makeup on because it was traditional in their culture. So Joseph's 10 brothers probably looked like the same guys 20 years later with the same facial hair, similar clothing, but Joseph looked like an Egyptian ruler. So I think that's also part of the reason why he recognized them. They looked the same, but he looked totally different as a 37-year-old compared to that 17-year-old shepherd boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and maybe he had different hairstyle, different, you know, obviously different dress and, and other things. Yes, James? So you're saying that his, his features changed that drastically that they couldn't, that, I mean, none of the nine or ten guys, could, his brothers, couldn't recognize him? I think if you shaved my hair, put me in Egyptian clothing, put eye makeup on me, um, and I was speaking to you in a different language, like let's say you knew me, I think you might not recognize me. So, And plus he knew, he knew his brothers. Yeah. And he obviously had to change his appearance to some extent yeah. so that they w- he did not want them to recognize him. Yeah. So he was going to go to whatever extent, James, that he needed to go through that maybe it's not revealed here in the text, but what is revealed is they didn't know him. So we have to accept the word of God as true on this. And Joseph did what he had to do to conceal his identity. I also think that, you know, the minute he heard them speaking Hebrew, that was a quick tip because it wasn't like millions and millions of people in Egypt spoke Hebrew. So that was also a tip that it was his family. Yep. Okay, James, thanks so much for calling tonight. I hope that helped a little bit. God bless you and others can call if you have a question at 929-333-3739. And let me just say this point about what is God doing when he, uh, he allows certain physical tragedies in our life, I mean, and it reveals to us our present daily necessities and needs that we have. As many times when bad things happen, we might think God is sending thunderbolts of his anger, that he's, all, he's angry at us, but these could be actually mercy drops, mm. mercy drops of his love. So this famine isn't God sending thunderbolts of anger. This is his mercy drops of love to bring the brothers of Joseph mm-hmm. to Joseph so that their situation can be worked out. So we have to see this, dear friends, our physical needs, of which we have many, we are a bundle of needs, can wake us up to our greatest need to depend on Jesus Christ. So let's look at the second thing. Not only does God get our attention and love, by revealing to us our present needs. But God gets our attention and love by drawing us to his promised son, to the promised son. So, Emmanuel, how did God use this famine now in the lives of Jacob's sons as they go through this situation? 
Yes, Pastor. So, um, Jacob, uh, in a way, Jacob's sons' lives are not just about themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to go a couple of generations uh, before them to Abraham, mm-hmm. where God gave him a promise that he would bless his descendants and mm-hmm. make them into a nation. Yeah. Now we see that Jacob's sons, <laughs> they are they are proud, they are arrogant, and they are in a position where God really cannot bless them in a way. And if you look at Isaiah 57:15, God says that I dwell in the high and holy place mm. and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to re- revive the heart of the contrite. Mm. So in a way, God is bringing Jacob's sons to a place where he can bless them mm-hmm. and bless them so that the uh, son of man, Jesus Christ, is revealed through those bloodlines. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. So, so basically, God is using this famine to humble them and to fulfill and at the same time fulfilling the dreams that Joseph had. Right, and that's the thing. Isn't it incredible now that God used this famine to bring Joseph's brothers to do something, Micah, that they thought they would never do, which Mm -hmm. was what? Bow down to him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it was exactly as it appeared in that dream 20-plus years before. Isn't that amazing, though, when you think Mm -hmm. about it? Yeah. When Joseph gave that dream, they thought, we would never bow down to you, yeah. you little runt of a, of a brother, <laughs> yeah. you know? You know what I think? Yeah. I, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, what I, I was going to say is, for the first time, I think I realized as I was studying this passage, which I've studied many times before, is that that first dream Joseph had was strictly about him and his brothers, and then the second dream involved his father, his parents. Yeah. Um, I sort of thought the two dreams, you know, were completely equal, but I think they're actually fulfilled in sequence here, because this time it's actually only the brothers. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. as well. Mm. Yeah, Emmanuel? Um, Another way we could look at it is Joseph in a way is like a Christ figure in that in a world of spiritual famine and lack, like we have to come to Jesus Christ and bow down before him. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well there is, there is an amazing parallel in this story and I want to read that verse Mm -hmm. in Genesis 41 verse 55 and this is why I do believe that Joseph knew that his brothers would eventually come to him. Mm. Based on this verse, but I just love this verse in Genesis 41:55. It says, And when all the land of Egypt was fam- famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And if we just take out Joseph's name and put Jesus there, it's so incredible. Go unto Jesus, what he saith to you, do. And we can say that to everyone. And I say it to you t- tonight, dear friends. Go to Jesus. And bow to him. And so there's an amazing parallel, isn't there, in this, Emmanuel? And how does God use trials to draw us to Jesus? And did he use trials to awaken your need to come to him so that you could be saved and really surrender your life to Christ? Yes, yes. As I shared in my first testimony, that's how I surrendered my life to Christ. But even after that, uh, I am a human being and I, I slack sometimes. I don't read the word i don't spend time with god uh, sometimes and whenever that happens i just feel that the peace of god just it goes away from me and mm-hmm. i i my work gets difficult and just living normal life that i just notice a lot of trials 
and temptations in there. So it's it's almost like uh, the verse from the classic hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Like it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Mm. And that is exactly sometimes how I feel. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit graciously convicts me every single time. Wow. And I just come to my knees and I surrender and I confess everything to God once again. Yeah, and bow and come. So not only did they go to Joseph for sustenance, but they bowed to him. Mm. And that reminds us what we should do to Jesus, because we have need. We have physical, material needs, but we have a spiritual need, dear friend, of him. And I'll never forget, as a confused college student, trying to work through this growth into manhood and adulthood, and just being overwhelmed and overcome with various fears and and different things, I was such a confused college student Mm. that I needed Jesus. And thank God he used my confusion, he he, he used my fears that I had to come to Jesus because I knew those fears that I had were not from God. There is no fear in love, but Mm. perfect love casteth out fear. And the only way I could get those fears cast out of my life was through Jesus. So dear friends, go to him. And so we ask ourselves, God, what are you doing? Nothing is going my way. But I have good news for you, dear friends. And we're going to go to a song sung by one of our own at Heritage Baptist and played by Debbie Kali and sung by Leroy Dawson. Great is thy faithfulness. Mm, And so we always have to remember when we say, God, what are you doing? When nothing's going my way. Great is God's faithfulness. You can give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. Again, 929-333-3739. Call us now. Thank you. 
yes, God's faithfulness is always great, dear friends, and he, he loves you. So when things are going on, it seems things are working against you. You say, God, what are you doing? What have you done to me? That's what the sons of Joseph are saying here. Mm. But you know the reality is? They didn't have all the information. They didn't know what God was doing behind the scenes. They didn't know that Joseph had been in prison interpreting dreams for the butler and baker. They didn't know that God had put a dream in Pharaoh's heart telling him of seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. They didn't know that Joseph himself interpreted those dreams. Mm. And they didn't know that Joseph standing before them was the... The, the prime minister of all of Egypt, and that the famine would last for seven years. They didn't have all the information, but God knows everything. So the, the point is, is when you don't know what's happening, and <laughs> that's true, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, but yeah. God does. And yeah. that's why we trust Him yeah. to work everything together for good. Mm. So the third thing here we see is that God is getting our attention and love when we wonder what's going on. Mm -hmm. And often what he's doing is he's convicting us of our past deeds. And that really gets to the heart of the story. As God is convicting Joseph's brothers of what they had done to Joseph. And Joseph wanted to see the change in their lives, doesn't he, Micah? So Mm -hmm. what is Joseph in this conversation that he has as he confronts his brothers for the first time here? What does he accuse them of? Uh, of three times he accuses them, and why does he accuse them of that? Yeah, well, he accuses them of being spies. He says it straight out. And, Pastor, I was thinking about this, and as you know, after this radio program, I'm headed to Newark Airport to fly to Israel, and I'm just going to go on a quick vacation, journey of the Holy Land. I've been there one other time, and I'm excited to go again. But I was imagining that if I landed at Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv and was accused of being a spy by Israeli intelligence, I would be in trouble, and I would surely spill my guts to prove that I wasn't a spy. I would give them all my contact information, the name of my employer, information about my relatives, probably your name and everything about you. Um, I'd be pretty nervous to be thrown in sure, an Israeli, be, yeah. Israeli prison. Well, Joseph, in all his wisdom, knew this about human nature, that by accusing his brothers of being spies, he was able to extract all the information he desired. He found out that his father Jacob was still alive. He found out that his younger brother Benjamin was also alive and back home in Canaan. And he was able to get insight into how his brothers matured by watching them handle this situation. And basically, his internal question in his mind was, were they the same jerks that they were two decades ago? Yeah, and he wanted to know if they had the same resentment toward Benjamin that they had toward him. And Uh, it was clear mm -hmm. that they didn't and that they they had changed. So, and I love the, I love really the dialogue, the back and forth. Joseph says, like, in verse 9, you're spies. They were like, no, we're not. In verse 12, (laughs) yes, you are. No, we're not. Yes, you are. Prove it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a little so different th- than the old English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just I, the, the back and forth is really great. It is. So, what were his brother spies? That's an interesting accusation. Yeah, it I is. I mean, do you? Th- they didn't. You don't even expect it as no, the reader. It's out of nowhere. Yeah. So, wh- what do you think, though? Why do you think he accuses them of being spies? Was this a true accusation? Yeah. Well, Joseph's brothers were not spies in the traditional sense, but in some ways, they were living a double life. You know, what they had done to Joseph all those years ago was still haunting them and still causing them to live in deception. 
Verse 23 is amazing because it gives us a very insightful detail. It reads, And they, his brothers, knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. So in order for Joseph to hear his brothers speak amongst each other freely, he didn't want them to know that he could understand Hebrew, so he used an interpreter to speak with them. And that, I think, is God-given wisdom. And of course, they had no idea. As they spoke together, they revealed that they were still carrying around with them that two decades worth of guilt and they even still continue to point fingers at each other in blame and it turns out they're pretty much the same guys that they were the last time Joseph had seen them. Yeah, so exactly right, Micah. They weren't spies like in that technical sense, but a spy is someone who's living a double life. Mm. And in that sense, they were living as spies and they still were because even when they refer to his brothers, they say one is not. not. Mm-hmm. And they just leave it there. They don't say his name. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to go there. We don't really talk about that because we don't, we don't talk about that. Yeah. But so they were holding on to that dark secret. And I believe, and you talked about extracting information uh, through this accusation. I, I believe Joseph could sense that they were still keeping this a secret from their father in their cold, somewhat casual reference to Joseph there. Mm-hmm. So, Emmanuel, what does Joseph do next then after accusing them of being spies? What does he, what does he do with them? Uh, so, Joseph uh, goes into the next step of his plan to basically sift the motives or like uh, Micah said, check if these are the same jokes they were 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> so, when one of their brothers, when Simeon is uh, bound in prison, it's almost like a reenactment of what they did with Joseph hmm. when he was thrown in a pit and sold as a slave. Yeah. So uh, he's he wants to check and he wants to give them an opportunity to forsake Simeon as they had forsaken him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, he wants to know how they will treat him yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. whether their past sins still haunt him. Uh, do they have a conviction? Has God convicted them of that? Um, so... Yeah, Joseph basically does this to awaken their guilt, and his plan basically works perfectly mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, at first he says, all of you are going to be in prison, yeah. and one of you is going to go back. Mm-hmm. And he gave him three days to think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I thought it was another example of the biblical pattern where we see three days of darkness followed by release. And I think back just two chapters where the butler had those three days in dark prison, and then he was released back into the courts of Pharaoh. Abraham, in Genesis 22, he endured three days of mm. darkness preparing to sacrifice his son Isaac before God came in and said, no, Abraham, you're released from that on Mount Moriah. And then Jonah, he was in the belly of the fish for three days before being released onto dry ground. And of course, this all points to Jesus, who is the climax of the story. And he was in the tomb for three days and three nights before being released into the resur- in, in the resurrection. And I just thought, this is just part of the pattern that God sets forth in the Bible. Yeah, and as well, so by putting them all into a prison, into a, th- like you said, well, that was beautiful, Micah, of three days of darkness, they all experienced what Joseph experienced mm-hmm, in that. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then he counteroffered and said, no, just one of you will stay. Mm-hmm. And then he put Simeon in chains, bound Simeon in chains in yeah. front of him. Mm-hmm. So in that, they all remembered Joseph. So in a sense, they all were imprisoned like Joseph mm-hmm. when they, he was thrown in a pit. But now they had to see one of their brothers mm-hmm enslaved as they enslaved 
Joseph. Yeah. So this all awakened their conscience, didn't it? Yeah. So that one of the great verses in this chapter, no doubt, is where they, they're looking at each other and they're talking. <laughs> it's like, we're guilty. Yeah. yeah. We, we've been found out. We're guilty of our brother. So everything Joseph was doing there mm-hmm. made them remember exactly what they did to Joseph. Mm. And, and they even say when, when uh, we saw the anguish of his soul, because they felt anguish in their soul. Mm. And they felt that same anguish Joseph felt. When he, and he besought us and he, be, he begged us, but we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. So it's amazing, this yeah, this whole scenario mm-hmm. that Joseph so weaves. Yeah. And how 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 do you think he how did how did that happen? <laughs> I mean he didn't just come up with this on the fly. Yeah, no, no, I think I think that Joseph had this well planned strategy which was probably given to him directly from God. Um so first he speaks through the interpreter to remain unknown to his brothers. Second, he accuses the ten brothers of being spies, getting them to divulge relevant information. Third he throws them all in prison for three days to clear out their bowels and give them time to think <laughs> about what they had done. Fourth, he releases them but keeps Simeon back in prison, ensuring that eventually they'd have to come back with Benjamin. And now fifth, he's placing the money back in yeah. their sacks to instill fear of God in them. And, and uh, what, what, is, what does he degree. hope to accomplish by putting the money... Yeah. That's another twist to this. Yeah, another twist. Yeah, what does Joseph hope to accomplish, and what is the response of the brothers and even the fathers when they discover yeah. their money in their sacks? Do they say, oh, great, we got our money back. <laughs> we got free food. I mean, most people would be like, this is great. You yeah, know? No. yeah, no, verse 28, it says, you know, the first time they find it, it said, and he said to his brethren, the, the one who found the money, my money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? So their thinking was that if they did go back for Simeon, they would all be thrown in prison. Surely the governor would now be convinced they were spies, and as you said before, Pastor, now they're even thieves. And then the nine brothers arrive back home. They realize that all their money was in their sacks, and at that point, even Jacob becomes afraid. He recognizes that Simeon may be gone for good, and there's potential to lose Benjamin as well. Yeah, I mean, Nana, let's face it. If you went to McDonald's and bought, what's your favorite thing to get at McDonald's of? I mean, I don't really like McDonald's, yeah, that's but okay. nuggets. Oh, oh that's the chicken, chicken McNugget. Oh, the, the dry morsels. You know, that's my terminology for the chicken McNuggets. So imagine if you got the, the dry morsel meal, the large with the fries and the, and the large Coke or whatever, and they put your money back in, in the bag. You know that that you just paid that you, it would be free. You would yeah. think, oh, this is praise <laughs> the Lord. You know, I got free free dry morsels today. Nana you know? would go back. Yeah, I know and, Nana, oh, Nana would I'd be concerned that they would chase after me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you might be put in fear, thinking, oh, they they think that you tried to steal yeah. the the dry morsel meal. I mean, the chicken McNugget meal. Yeah. So that's exactly what yeah. happened mm-hmm. with Joseph's brothers, and they were afraid, and so Emmanuel. No, let's see here. <laughs> okay, he's eating so, chicken McNuggets over there. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so no, Micah, you're you're heading out to Israel. So, yeah. just as we come into the close of our program, yeah. Um, how does this bring conviction 
to them, and even more importantly, how how can we now relate this to Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. So what we've been saying is, what is God doing when nothing is going our way? Yeah. Well, he's showing us our present need, that we have need of Jesus, and we need to go to Jesus. He's drawing us. He's using these situations and circumstances to draw us to Jesus, and then he's using these situations to convict us of our own sin, mm-hmm. because sometimes things do happen. In, an, in a negative light. Sometimes yeah. we do have to live through a hurricane, mm-hmm. or we do get into car accidents, or we do lose our jobs, and these things. And they can cause us to self-evaluate, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and to bring conviction of sin. So how can we relate this to Jesus Christ? Yeah, well, I, I just think, let's put ourselves in the shoes of Joseph's brothers, or even his father Jacob, at this point in the story. All the information we had would lead us to believe that this lord of the land of Egypt, Joseph, was just completely cruel. We would never guess that everything he's doing was for the family's survival and also for their reconciliation. But as Emmanuel had said earlier, these men couldn't possibly understand what he was doing or what God was doing through him uh, because it was their brother, Joseph. And God was using Joseph's strategy to humble this prideful and deceptive family before he's going to bring them great blessing. And as you were talking Mm -hmm. about, Pastor, he's going to use these 12 brothers and the Jewish nation to bring forth the Messiah. So God sometimes does this, and we don't have to understand all he's doing, but we can trust him. And that's the key to our peace in times of trial. Trust Jesus no matter where we are, and we're going to have peace. Amen. So what is God doing, dear friends? When it seems that nothing is going our way, you know what he could be well doing? Preparing you. Just as he was preparing Joseph's family to bring in the Messiah, he's preparing you. So deal with that unresolved guilt. Deal with those dark secrets. Come clean to God. Be humbled of your pride, as Emmanuel Mm. so beautifully shared in his testimony. Surrender your life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. He loves you. He's drawing you. He's working this situation out for his glory and your good. So good night. Micah, have a great trip to Israel. Be safe. We'll be praying for you. Emmanuel, thanks for being here tonight. God bless you all. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 